Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to wrap up uh, the second chapter of Philippians here this week. Now, at the end of Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes about two of his friends and co-laborers spreading the gospel. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And if you can't say that last name, just call him E for short, all right? <clears throat> Epaphroditus. Try writing that in the notes a whole bunch of times. I copy and pasted that sucker every time except the first time, trust me. Um, but he takes, uh, uh, he takes time at the end of Philippians chapter 2 to really focus on and talk about two of his friends. And I, I think, you know, I, I shouldn't say it like that. Um, everything, I know for certain that everything in Scripture is there on purpose. And so when he's highlighting his, his friends, he's doing something that he wants to draw our attention to. He wants to draw attention to the, the believers that are in Philippi. And today, um, we as believers in Christ can also follow along those, those same principles and draw out the same things. And so <clears throat> this week, I want to look at the blessing of true friendship. And when, uh, when we talk about friendship today, I don't want, I do not mean uh, Facebook friends. And when I say Facebook friends, I mean those guys who show up at like anniversaries and birthdays and holidays and give you just like a little like or a little like hug emoji or whatever that thing is, you know what I mean, that they put on there in the last couple months or <clears throat> any of that stuff. Or they just pop up at like certain points in your life. Happy birthday, bro. Hope, hope you have a great day. And um, that's all nice, but that's not necessarily a friend. And it's a friend online, <clears throat> but I'm talking about a friend that, that, that really goes with you. I'm talking about those ride or dies, those people who, um, is that an old term? Is that an old folks term? Is that an old folks term? Yes, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I thank you for the RCC youth telling me I'm old. The, those guys who, go, who are uh, here for all of it, yeah, the, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, <clears throat> but the, the, the ones that are absolutely true friends and that are not just connected because of a common interest. There are a lot of people who say that I have friends, but they're my hiking friends. And they only see them when they go hiking when it's not 195 degrees, you know what I mean, here in the, here in the valley. There's some other people who are like, these are my pickleball friends, right? Yeah, we got some new pickleball friends in the room, I'm sure. But <clears throat> those are based on a common interest, but they do something together. It's a common interest, but they don't ever go past that point of an entry-level interest. Paul talks about how deep of a bond Timothy and Epaphroditus have with him, and he draws it out explicitly, and I want to focus on that today. See, in our current culture, we see, um, we see this kind of tight-knit, tight bond formed in several areas, but two of our most prominent areas where we see these tight bonds formed are sports and military, right? So when so what I tr what I wanted to do is I wanted to honor Phoenix and I wanted to look at um, uh, the stories of the bonds that these that these professional sports teams have in our city when they won championships. And then I Googled that. So you put that slide up here just so you know I'm not lying. So I Googled up how many uh, have the Phoenix Suns won ever won a championship. And this is not a lie. It says look at that. No zero. When you Google it right there. So even though I wanted to honor Phoenix with like the stories of the championship runs, um, they didn't have any 
to talk about. So I had to go to the next best thing. Next slide, Jules, for me. Right here is God's team. Look at that beautiful purple and gold on both sides right here with the L.A. Lakers. See, you didn't have to search or ask a question if the Lakers have ever won a championship because they've won so many. And so these pictures were very easily easy to find. So if you'll notice, after those of you who are hating on me, stop with your anger in the name of Jesus. Um, if you just forget that it's purple and gold and it's the Lakers and that it's the best team ever, if you just forget it for a second and look at how they're treating each other. Now, the reason that you find these people hugging each other and jumping in each other's arms, yes, they're celebrating the win, but if you listen to these guys after they hug their coach, after they hug their players, after they hug these people that are on their team, if you listen to them, they talk about there is a bond that can't really be explained because there is something that happens when people all go for the same goal. And in athletics, people are overcoming injuries. They're taking time away from their family. They're spending money on caring for their body. You know, they're trying to rehab from injuries that they may have sustained. Some people took a little bit less money to come on the team. Some people, you know, it's they, 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 all of that is in play in a locker room, whether it's on a field or like for the Bucks who won the championship is a great sports year for the pool household, for the Tampa Bay and the Lakers both won in this past year. So just a reminder in case you forgot. Um, but these guys talk about this brotherhood that is formed and they have this deep relationship because they did something hard. They had to push past their own limitations and sacrifice for each other for a common goal. We see this also in the military, and um, there's a, just a picture of it. I don't know if you've ever seen that. We can't play the video up, up here, I don't think, but um, did you delete that one? That I asked, okay, I asked her to delete it. Anyway, so you can take down the Laker picture so Sergio doesn't throw anything at, at me anymore um, other than dirty looks. But um, there's, a, there's a video online of these guys who are military friends who haven't seen each other in years. And this guy turns around and sees his friend, and he just, he's carrying a case of water and some soda. He just drops it on the ground, and he jumps in his arms, and he holds the guy, and there's, he's laughing, and it's just like, Dude, he did not act like some big tough guy in the military. He broke down and cried when he saw his friend because they had been in the throes of battle. They had been in the trenches. They'd been in the foxhole together, literally having each other's back. And that's kind of, I want to give us a cultural reference for what's been happening with Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus. They're all working towards the same goal. They are sacrificing literally for each other every single day. And when they do that, there is a bond that forms that develops into true relationship and true friendship. People form a deep bond when sacrificing together to accomplish an ultimate goal. And so there's only two points for the message this week. And so if you feel like you got short change because we normally have three or more, um, I'll pack these two with a lot of stuff. So don't worry. Um, but number one, uh, the things I want to draw our attention to in this passage is friends, excuse me, friends change our outlook. Friends change our outlook. What I want to do is I'm going to go back to last week and I want to read um, two scriptures that we had last week and get paint a picture of where Paul is before we go into these, this last little passage, okay? Philippians 2, verses 17. 
I think you have two verses on your paper. I'm just going to read the first one. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just as your faithful service is an offering to God. Do you catch the tone that Paul is writing in here? I'll rejoice even if I lose my life. Next line of your notes, Paul is contemplating losing his life for the gospel. And you can hear a little bit of that weight in the way that he writes these words, I'll rejoice even if I lose my life. He knows this is a very, very real possibility. He has no idea how long he's going to be in prison. He has no idea if um, what the political landscape is going to look like, if people are going to let him out. He has no idea which, if the guardsmen are going to continue to be nice to him. He doesn't know if they're going to get orders from the emperor to, to execute him. He has no way in the world to know how he's going to get out of prison. He is in full thought and acceptance that there's a great possibility I'm dying right here in this place. I'm going to die in this prison. But look at what happens when he thinks about and remembers and talks about Timothy, his good friend. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Did you see the switch? Did you see, did you catch the switch that happened in verse 17? I am here totally understanding that this could end in my death. And then seven short verses later, he says, I have confidence from the Lord that I myself is, am going to come and see you soon. There was a change right there. And the change that happened was he began to remember and think about his friend, Timothy. Next line of your notes, Paul's tone completely changes when he thinks of Timothy. His tone completely changes. Why? Let's keep going in your notes. Ready? It is easy to be discouraged or not see any way out of a situation when we are isolated. It is easy to be discouraged or not see a way out of a situation when we are isolated, but a, fr a true friend can help change our outlook. Let's keep going in your notes. In verse 17, Paul is aware of the realistic idea that he may die a martyr. But in verse 24, he is focused on living so he can see the Philippian believers again. I'm really, really glad that this happened in this passage so that we can understand something very important about the people that the Bible tells us about and the letters that we have that are written from Paul and the rest of the apostles to the church. And here's the thing I want us to remember. Next on your notes. The people in the Bible are human. The people in the Bible are human, not characters from a fiction novel. They have moments when they waver between despair 
and confidence just like us. Just like us. Has anybody in this room ever been in a scenario or a situation in your life where you have felt overwhelmed, where it seems like, uh, you know, the walls are kind of sinking in on you, where it seems like the room is getting smaller even though it's not, and you have this sense of, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. It could be you're at odds with a, uh, you know, a loved one. It could be someone is sick in your family or a friend. It could be, you know, a parent who you're watching kind of come to the end, you know, the end of their life or, a, or, or, or another friend who is wrestling with some kind of disease or whatever it might be. Have you ever been in that scenario where you felt overwhelmed, but then you got a phone call. Or then there was a knock at the door, and it was one of your really good, true friends who rolled in your house or talked to you on the phone and was like, hey, man, how are you? And at the end of that conversation or at the end of that meeting, you walked out, and the scenario had not changed, but there is a little bit of, there's a little bit of room to breathe. Anybody ever felt that? Anybody ever felt that? This is what has just happened with Paul when he's talking about Timothy. He's understanding the importance of true friendship, and he's communicating to us that there is a value to us as believers in Christ and as people of God who have true friends and who become true friends. So I want to look at four quick areas for us before we start looking at all the people around us, and we do need to look at the people around us. The old, the old adage and the saying and statistic goes, you will become the sum, the average, of the five people you're around the most. That is how much of an impact your friends have on you. That means that if you're a friend to somebody else, what you bring to the table is having an impact on them. It goes both ways. So instead of, but before we look at everybody else and be like, no, you can't be in my five anymore. You're not in my five anymore. You, bro, have been out of my five for a long time, but you still hang around here a bunch. When, before we do all that, let's just stop and look at ourselves first, and let's, let's look at four things that we can do. So we need to be the kind of friends who, letter A, build up. We need to be the kinds of friends that build up. Proverbs 18.24. There are, quote, unquote, friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. If you have a quote-unquote friend who is always taking from you, and I'm not talking about someone who's in a crisis moment of their life and you have a, a little season of time where you need to attend to them and always give to them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you've got somebody who always takes away from you or you are a person who only takes from the people around you so that you can survive, then you are not building them up. You're taking away from them. 
It doesn't mean that we can't share our problems. That is one of the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens, but we are supposed to be the kind of people that when you walk into the room, people go, man, I'm glad he is here. I'm glad she is here. I'm glad they are here because when I leave, I don't feel down. I don't feel drained. I feel built up. I have been encouraged. I have been um, uh, pumped with um, um, the relationship is not something that's drawing from me. It's giving to me, and I want to give back to it because we are people who build each other up. And when you build each other up, you are literally fulfilling Scripture. We need to be the type of friends who build up. Let her be. We need to be the type of friends who show up. We need to be the type of friends who show up. I'm going to say something that should not be controversial, but might be. There are some things in life that you can act on without prayer. There are some things in life you can act on without praying about it. Now, let's do a very elementary, like very base level ex- uh, example of what I'm talking about. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey... Here is a whole bunch of stolen money that I took from the bank. Here's a cut for you. You should say, Lord, I need to pray about this real quick because, you know, I was looking for a financial blessing. No, stop. <laughs> no. Some of you are like, no, bro, I would pray. Like, no, that, that, stop. You know, just <clears throat> don't mortgage your character for a bag of money, right? So look at what are you supposed to do? No, dude, get away from me with that. I'm not going to jail. You go to jail. If you tell me where you hide it after you took it, then oh, we're all good. You know what I mean? But I ain't taking it right now. There's some things you ain't got to pray about. Hey, man, do you want to, um, uh, do, <laughs> do you want to um, just jump in the car with me and go away for the weekend uh, and just tell, and don't tell your wife and your kids where you're going and just we'll hang out and you'll come back Monday for work? You don't need to pray about that. The answer is no. Because she and those children may not be there when you return, right? Like, there's some of these common sense things that you don't need to pray about. One of the things that we don't need to pray about is do we need to show up for our friends in a time of crisis? There are many people who talk themselves out of being involved in a time of crisis. Many people. By saying this. You know, I don't know what to say. I just feel awkward because... They're crying, and I'm just sitting here. I don't know what to do. I would just be sitting there. It's, I, I just don't feel led to go. Stop. Show up. Just show up. Why should we push past the awkwardness and show up? Because 90% of helping others during tragedy is simply showing up. I want to help. Uh, they don't know what they need. Well, if they don't know what they need, I don't either. Yes, show up, sit down, and when you look around the room and they're going through tragedy or some type of uh, a stressful moment, you can go, oh, it's 5.30. No one in here has even thought about dinner. I'll be back with dinner, guys, if you have the ability to do that. You can find ways to help if we just show up. <laughs> Why is it important for us to just show up and not and push past the awkwardness and not have to sit there and pray about it. Should I go? Should I not? No, why? Job 6.14. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. 
He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. We talked about this word fear a few weeks ago, right? It's not about being afraid of God. It's having this immense level of respect for him. So when we withhold kindness that we know we should be giving to a friend, we are turning our back on respect for God because he's commanded us to go and help. Proverbs 17.7, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. It doesn't matter if it's awkward. I want to encourage you to be the type of friends that simply show up. And if you are already focused on doing the first one, building up, showing up is going to be a positive thing for everybody involved. You see how these are connected? Letter C, we need to be the type of friends who stir up. Stir up. Now, let me, let me talk about two things you're not supposed to stir up. Number one, trouble. I'm not talking about friends who stir up trouble, <clears throat> number one. And I'm also not talking about friends who stir up the drink before y'all get sauced and do something stupid, right? Like, so, so I'm not talking about those kind of stirring ups, right? Like, let's put those to the side. What kind of stirring up am I talking about? Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may have heard this passage or this referred to in an older translation that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And whenever I heard that passage, it was always like, you better come to church on the weekend. Where were you at? This is one of those things that people call themselves Christians do. You got to check that off the list. And if you missed this week, that box is unchecked and you did not do all the Christian things this week. Show up. My family was so like afraid to miss a Sunday that we we didn't go on vacation a whole lot. But when we did go out of town for vacation, we would open the yellow pages. If you don't know what the yellow pages are, um, just ask somebody who's over 30. Um, but we'd look in the yellow pages, and we'd have to find a church that was nearby that was the same denomination, so we'd have to visit. So we could go back and tell people after vacation, we didn't miss church. Because it was such a legalistic thing. I had to be there, had to be there, had to be there. I got beat over the head. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they used this passage as the justification of that point. But what you can see if you read everything around the passage is it's we're getting together here to worship God, to pray for each other, but to also stir one another up to love, to good works. The reason we're getting together is to encourage one another, to build each other up, to show up for each other, and stir up the good things of God inside us and with each other. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, As iron sharpen iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I had a, a very funny, it was funny to me at least, um, this picture in my head of a guy that had a big piece of iron and he wanted to sharpen it. And all he did is put it in the air and start shaking. And he pulls it down and he goes, it's not sharp yet. And he keeps shaking. And he pulls it down and says, why is this not getting sharpened? Because he's not bringing it against another piece of iron. You can't wave that piece of iron in the air against nothing by itself and expect it to get sharp. What you need is another friend who you can begin to bounce those ideas off. Someone who can look at you and say, hey, um, 
uh, maybe try it this way next time. Hey, man, I need some help doing this. I'm, I'm lost on this thing in my job or at my house, or I need some help right here. And what's happening is these, you're, you're, you're coming in contact with other people, and you're making each other better. You can't do that in isolation. You have to have someone else that you are in a true, real friendship with if you're going to get better. Because iron sharpens iron, and a friend benefits another friend. Letter D. We need to be the kinds of friends who grow up. Who grow up. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses from an enemy. Now, when we talk about kisses from the enemy, we're not talking about your arch rival walking up and giving you a peck on the cheek. You know what I mean? Like sniffing you, you're the back of your head and giving you a little kiss on the back of your head. No, that's not what he's talking about. This is a figurative language. It's kind of a metaphor for people who use flattery but are not in relationship with you. Dude, you're the best. You're awesome. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. And then when you walk away, they go, I'm just waiting for him, that dude to slip up just once and I'm going to take his spot. I'm waiting for one misstep, and I'm going to step in there, and I'm going to work this whole angle. But you keep doing what you do. Yeah, you're good. You're good. And then back here, they're being dishonest. That's what it kisses from the enemy implies in this. An open rebuke from a good friend sounds like this, okay? You're going to have to really man up and woman up and mature if you're going to be able to have these kind of conversations with your friend, <clears throat> this is what it sounds like. Hey, man, um, last two weeks I've seen you here at church. Man, you've been really short with your wife. You, all, you good? Because I, I see your kids watching you when you talk to her that way. Or ladies talking to each other. Hey, girl, um, I see the way you've been berating your kids in front of everybody. And it's not correcting them. It's actually crushing them. I can watch it, maybe because I've made the same mistake, but everything going all right with you? Because if it's not, you're taking it out on your kids. You may not understand it. Your first reaction may be like, hey, bro, back up out of my space. <laughs> Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> like that's the the that's the the bravado, right? For guys, that's the pride. That's the don't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. I've never experienced that in my life. I'm just kidding. Um, but what, what you when someone comes and tries to tell you you've done something wrong, you kind of push back on it immediately. But the person who's got enough guts to rely on the relationship that they forged with you to come out there and say, hey. Something's off here, brother. Something's off here, sister. Are you okay? Can I pray for you? Can we, can we work some of this stuff out? Can we go back to scripture? Can we figure out what's happening and strengthen each other? That's what is talked, what is talked about, um, wounds from a sincere friend. It's hard conversations from somebody who you know loves you enough to call you on your junk. 
Paul is identifying Timothy in that first passage as this type of friend. He is gushing about him. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. And in your, in your notes, I underlined that word proved for a reason. Jules, can you show that last picture for me real quick? <clears throat> I don't know if you can see this right here, but this is a... Um, a device that is used for proving gold. The reason I'm showing you that picture is because the definition in the original language of, of um, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. I put it in your notes here. Kaufman's commentaries in the Bible. The word translated proved is used of gold and silver that had been tested and could be accepted as current coin. How they test gold there's four different ways that main ways that people test the purity of gold, and one of them is gold proofing. And this picture is from um, the Manhattan Gold and Silver Company. And in the next line in your notes, here's what they say. A fire assay, that word assay means basically like a test. A fire assay or a melt test is the most accurate precious metal assay. It's the most accurate way to test if a metal is truly gold or not. In fact, it's accurate bet between one part per thousand and one part per 10,000. Very, very close. We recommend the fire assay process because it's the most accurate and the best way to determine the amount and purity of precious metals. This picture right here is what happens when they heat up the container that's going to put the the gold in it that people send in. So if you had gold jewelry or gold watch or a ring or something like that, and you sent it to this company and you wanted to see how much gold was really in it, they would heat that container up to over 1,400 degrees, and they would place your items in them. And let's say you sent them five pounds of gold, and all of a sudden they run it through the, the tester, and it pulls out all the impurities, and you only have one pound left. And then they can accurately value what you had. That's how much gold you had. It may look like this, but when you remove out all the junk, it's really only this. What Paul is saying is he's using this, this type of example to say, Timothy has already been proved. He has been poured into the fire with me, and all this impurity has been pulled out, and we see exactly how much of a committed friend he really is to me. Next line of your notes. Timothy had been through the fire with Paul. Every church in that region knew that Timothy had been refined in tough times, kept his faith, and remained dedicated to Paul and the gospel. This is the type of friend we need to be and the type of friends we need to choose. This is the type of friend we need to be and the type of friend we need to choose. Matt, you're telling me, like, just some, like, good advice, right? Like, just some kind of, you know, these are just good things to know. No, I'm telling you scripture. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, 
but the way of the wicked leads them astray. When you become the type of friend that builds up, that shows up, that stirs up, and that grows up with, you, with those around you, and you choose those people around, to, to be around you that have those same character traits, you are fulfilling the direction of Scripture. Point number two. Friends represent well. Friends represent well. Let's finish off Philippians chapter two by reading these last six verses here. Start in verse 25 and we'll end with 30. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus. He's now talking about his second friend. I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserved, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. What Paul is referencing here is this. The church in Philippi, all of the group of believers, just think of it that if we're all a group of believers and we're all in the city of Philippi during this time frame, we put a care package together for the Apostle Paul. We want him to continue doing his ministry. We're so grateful for what he's, how he's poured into our lives and shaped us and written us letters and helped us. And so we all say, man, let's put a care package together. And so most people think um, that they sent, him, they sent him food, garments, parchments, like paper to write on, and supplies to use while he was in prison. So let's say that we put all of that stuff together. And there's no internet, there's no trains, there's no buses, there's no planes. You have, we have to pick somebody out of the group here to take everything that we just put together in that care package, including money and food and whatever else it is, valuable things. We have to trust somebody to take that by hand to the Roman prison where Paul is, is, is currently imprisoned. You got to pick somebody that's high character. You got to pick somebody who's honest. You got to pick somebody who's dedicated. You got to choose somebody who's committed and who doesn't walk down to the next city where no one else around here could see him. And he sells off all the stuff and has a big old huge time in the next city, blows all the money, comes back in a couple weeks and says, Hey, man, Paul's doing good. He says, Thanks for all the, the stuff we sent him. And yeah, he'll just he'll write us a letter later. He doesn't do that, and they have to pick someone who's not going to betray them, but represent them well. So next line in your notes, Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to, to deliver the gifts and support to Paul. We'll keep going in your notes. Epaphroditus was also sent to help Paul do the work of the ministry. He delivered, 
He was trusted enough to take valuables and make sure they got to Paul to sustain him through the time that he was in prison and help him continue his ministry. But he also had to commit to stay there and help him do whatever was needed. Next line of your notes. While traveling from Philippi to Paul's prison, Epaphroditus became very ill and almost died. He almost died on the way, and he had a decision to make when he was sick. Am I going to try to go back home and recover and go later, or am I going to represent my friends, my co-believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ well, and push through and make it to Paul? So next on your notes, when Epaphroditus agreed to deliver the gifts to Paul, he fully committed to do whatever it took to support the work of the gospel. He realized he was representing a group of people, not just himself. He pressed on, even though he was gravely ill. He delivered the care package to Paul, and he stayed for an extended time with him. He stayed for an extended time with him to help him do the work of the ministry. In the very last verse, verse 30 of that passage we read, Paul said this about Epaphroditus. He risked his life for the work of Christ. Well, that phrase, he risked his life, actually means he gambled his life. He took risk. He put himself in harm's way. He did something that was out of character and out of nature of a self-preservation attitude. He took risks for his friends because he was representing his friends and helping a friend and they were forging a bond in the in the fire of 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 um uh preaching the gospel together they were forming a bond because of all the persecution they were facing and pushing against he took chances <clears throat> I really felt compelled this weekend to talk about friendship because it's the next line in your notes. We often ignore the godly and biblical principle of friendship. You have been given a body of believers. You have been given people who are like-minded to forge these relationships with so that you're not isolated. It is a gift of God. And if we're going to have friends, we must show ourselves as friends and in those moments, strengthen each other and be strengthened at the same time. Most people will look at friends and be like, yeah, I got some friends. I got some good friends. Man, if I had to list my, my friends that I'm around the most, I really like them and these are my good friends, and I don't think you realize that when you are that type of friend and you have those type of friends, what you're doing is fulfilling a mandate in Scripture. Paul and his friends were like-minded, meaning they were unified in four areas I want to just quickly point out to you. First bullet point there, they were unified in principle. What is a principle? It's a foundational belief. They were, what was their principle? The gospel of Jesus Christ was their foundation. My guess is that everybody in this room, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is your foundation. 
They were like-minded and unified in the second bullet point, passion. What was their passion? To serve in their assignment, take the gospel to the Gentile world. Everybody has their own assignment. You don't have to do the same thing. But our passion is to take the gospel to the world. The people in this room, most of them have that same passion. The third thing, pursuit. What was their what was their unified pursuit to honor God, to live out Jesus' commands and follow the Holy Spirit's direction? And if I went around this room and asked you, Are the, do you want to honor God, live out Jesus' commands and follow the Holy Spirit's direction? You would say, yes, you are in a room full of people who have a similar pursuit. The last bullet point, they were unified in purpose. Purpose. What is their purpose? Fulfilling the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Love God. Love people. Serve him. Serve others. Point people back to him. That is fulfilling the Great Commission. You are in a room full of people who have the same principle, passion, pursuit, and purpose. So when we talk about forging friendships, You don't have to just be friends with the people in the room, but let's start here. Let's start here and do what scripture talks about. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other. Let's provoke one another to love and to good works. Let's build each other up with encouragement and and, and being on their side and showing up and being those people who build each other up. Because when we do that, we're not just, oh, that's what everybody, no, and everybody doesn't do that. And I got a great example of it. Um, right after we started the church back in uh, September 2019, um, Nina had a sickness that um, required her to have a pretty extent, extensive surgery. And we put out word just to some of the people that you know, we knew and some of her friends, hey, she's going to have surgery. And two days later, six of them showed up, some of them from out of state, from out of town, and they all showed up at her hospital room. Some of them had pictures, they had blown up and, you know, wanted to put them all over the wall. They wrote themselves, which is kind of odd, but anyway, it was like they had pictures of them together, you know, and kind of put up, and, and somebody flew in from out of state, and all these people were in, and we, that we were laughing, and they were, like, cutting up, you know, they were talking about old times, and they were going through these memories and all this kind of stuff, and you may be like, well, great story, Matt, why are you telling me that? I'm not telling you because her friend showed up. I'm telling you because there was a conversation that happened outside of her friends that I overheard, and it was with the nurses in the hospital, and they started asking each other, who are all these people in her room? Because she's Polynesian, but two of these other girls are whiter than snow. This one is has some Hispanic roots. This one it looks is from an Amish community. This one is from somewhere else. These things don't necessarily just naturally go together. How are they all here laughing and enjoying each other? And they would ask us, who are these people? It's like... These are our friends. These are our friends. And they walked away thinking, man, those are some really good friends. 
The story is not to be like, oh, Nina's got great friends. No, the story is what happens when people who don't know you see you be the type of friend that we're talking about, like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus were to each other. Next line of your notes, being a good friend is also being a good witness. Because when you go the extra mile, when you really show up, when you really come to build up, when you really come to stir up, when you really come to grow up with those other people in mind, when you really do that, you are obeying the direction of Scripture. I think some of you do this with a natural tendency thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. And I'm here to tell you, no, my friends, it is a huge deal because the type of friend you are reflects what's going on in your heart. And the type of friend you are as a believer in Christ reflects the heart of Christ to other people. And it is one more way that we shine the light of the gospel in a dark place and point people back to Jesus. Look at what Jesus said, John 15, 9 through 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. I underline these because I want to focus on these. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. Can you imagine what that was like for Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, to look them in the face and say, you're not my servants. You're not just my followers. You are my friends. I have given you the inside scoop of what's going to happen here in the future. I've given you the inside track to knowledge that I'm going to die. I'm going to raise up and people who have faith in me are going to be able to be reconciled to God. You're going to carry that message forward. God is their friend and God is your friend. And I don't know about you, but that's the friend that I want. That's the friend that I want to reflect to others. Last line in your notes. Believers and followers in Jesus Christ should lead the world in the area of friendship. We should lead the world in the area of friendship. I'm not talking about leading it in a way to where like, we're changing the name of the church. We are now Friendship Community Church. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about making it some, this is going to be my life purpose to be the best. No, no, no. This should be things that flow out of us naturally because we are connected to the friend that sticks closer than the brother. We are connected through the spirit of God in us as believers in Christ to the, the, the God who gave his life, who sent his son for us. These things should flow out of us naturally the more we submit to him. So my question today for us is this. Are we being those type of friends? And are we surrounding ourselves with those type of friends?
I heard somebody say once that if you're only friends with um, people who believers that are believers, you're not friends with enough people. We have to be engaged in relationships with people who are not saved so that we can extend the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. But you are not going to receive the type of encouragement, the type of building up, the type of stirring up, the type of growing up that you will with another believer. So my encouragement to you and to all of us in this message is today is to be this kind of friend that Paul is talking about with Timothy and Epaphroditus and also surround ourselves with those kind of friends.